Welcome back, Steeler fans, to another episode of the New Standard. And as always, I have my partner in crime, Neil Kulong, to my left. And if you want to hop onto the program, make sure you join us on YouTube Live. Do a search for the New Standard and Neil Kulong and or Lance Williams. And if you want to catch us via podcast, however you catch your podcast, do a search for Steelers and the New Standard, and you will catch us. Big Neil, what's happening, sir? We've got a game for the ages in front of us, Lance. That makes me excited. The midway point of a week. Good morning to everybody out there in Steeler Nation. It uh, this this should be a very compelling matchup. Naturally, what I'm talking about is the epic, the only wild card game that matters, which may or may not be true. But the only one that matters, certainly, the Steelers fans. Bills, or Steelers at Bills. Two historic AFC teams doing battle. A Bills team that has had to rebound from what looked like a, a fatal slide toward the middle of the season. Rebounded very well, winning their last five games, including the last one over the Dolphins to clinch the AFC East. And this is really crazy to me. I still can't get over this. The Bills are the, the second seed in the AFC. Where did they come yeah. from? We wrote them off. Totally wrote them off. When Sean McDermott it, it, it news gets out that he's using the coordination and, and tactics of the hijackers involved in 9-11 to motivate his team. I thought he was going to get fired. <laughs> I really did. They were playing Kansas City that weekend. They pulled that game out. And to be honest with you, if they didn't win, I think he would have gotten fired at the end of the season. I don't think they would have made the playoffs. Um, good on them for for rebounding. I don't know. I don't know how you block that kind of a distraction out, but they managed to do it, and Buffalo ended up being, you know, one of the best teams in the AFC, and a formidable matchup for your Pittsburgh Steelers, a team that also had, to put it mildly, something of a slide a little bit past the midway point of the season. You have an offense that finally takes root under quarterback Mason Rudolph, new offensive coordinator Eddie Faulkner, along with play caller Mike Sullivan rebound quite well um, on a team that had not gained 400 yards or scored 30 points and however long did that routinely it seemed uh, throughout their tenure you're excited about that this is a big game in many ways except the fact that tj watt got hurt yeah that's, that's going to be a problem lance we the uh we speak in hushed tones the same way that i did back in 2014 when Le'Veon bell uh, was injured the third quarter in what turned out to be the division championship game against the Bengals. Uh, Bell went down. The team had absolutely no depth behind him. They started what I've referred to over the years as the triumvirate of suck in Dre Archer, Josh Harris, and Ben Tate, who was pulled off the street to play that week yeah. uh, against Baltimore. Not the team you want to play with those kinds of running backs. Uh, not familiar with blitz pickups. No threat to run the ball. They sat back all day and waited for Ben to throw and just rushed him uh, like he was made out of ham. And you you saw the results in that game. I wouldn't be surprised if this is something similar. Uh, maybe better depth for the Steelers, but the, the absence of TJ Watt really is the story of this game, Lance. Uh, you're you know not to make excuses or anything like that because nobody really cares what I think about it. You're not the same team without TJ Watt, to put it mildly. He's absolutely. Just I mean, there's no absolutely. next man up for TJ Watt because TJ Watt isn't a man. He doesn't put up man like statistics. 
He's above and beyond that. He is a first ballot Hall of Famer. He's not even 30 years old. He's one of the best defensive players of his generation. This team needs him badly, and they're not going to get him. So He's not a man. He's a minotaur. <laughs> not quite a god, but he is definitely more than you and me. And if I correct me if I'm wrong about TJ, that is a very big loss. Correct me uh, if I'm wrong, is that TJ is the only man in NFL history to win the NFL sack title three times. Is that three correct? times, only person, something he just clinched um, while suffering this injury. Um, he, he was having a pretty good game. I think he could have gotten another one. Um, uh, up to that point. I mean, to be fair, and this is kind of not to, to derail it, but this is sort of where we get into issues with defensive player of the year and why people think that, you know, they, they dare to think that Miles Garrett's a good player. <laughs> we can't do that. Um, the, the first sack that Watt had in that game was off of a great rush from Alex Highsmith, who caused the pressure. Uh, Highsmith wasn't quite able to get home. Watt came and cleaned up the rest of it. For Watt to get a, a, a positive stat for that isn't exactly unfair, but at the same time, High Smith did the work on that play. Um, he's not getting anything for it, really. He gets a hurry, um, and we don't want to count hurries as much as we want to count sacks. It's not to diminish anybody, but it is to say that, you know, sacks should be taken kind of with a grain of salt. It's not the only thing to look at. Um, and it's, it's for what it's, it's not what defines him. Even if he does lead the league in sack sacks three consecutive times, he's got 22 and a half. He got 19 this year. Those are, are very positive statistics. Nobody would take that away from him, but it's not at all what encapsulates TJ Watt. If you watch him play um, more than anything, and this is something I've been yelling at people about, uh, Watt is playing wide nine probably most of the time. Yeah, that's that's a little new this year, and that's that's not something they do uh, for the effort of of having him be able to just you know outflank the tackle. The reason they do that is because it puts him into the passing lane, into the flat. Watt is that athletic. He is that explosive of a player. He can read where they're going with it explode up, get off to his left as well as his right to block anything that'd be thrown off to that side. You don't run at a wide nine like TJ Watt. He's that good. And for the, the, the PFF haters out there, one of which is not me, by the way, I'll, I'll disclose that up front. But that's probably more than enough reason to suggest he might not get double teamed as often as an interior player would mostly because you can't really double team a guy at wide nine. That's why you're putting Watt there in the first place. It's a tactical decision. You can, you can, uh, uh, you can slide guys over to him, but the way that he's being defended just because of where he is on the field, he's taking one at a time. He's not being double teamed in a traditional sense, but he's still got to beat two guys to get to the quarterback. And the, the, the pressure rate that he has, I understand is not quite the same as what Miles Garrett has, as what Mike Micah Parsons has. It, 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 we should admit from the beginning of all of this, these are three phenomenal defensive players, okay? We, we don't get a, a top three candidate pool like this very often in the NFL. My opinion, you could make an argument for any of the three of them to win, and I'd be willing to bet their 51st place votes given out for Defensive Player of the Year. The winner, I'm not even sure who it's going to be, but I wouldn't be surprised at all if the winner had... 15 first place votes so this is going to be really competitive 
Uh, there are a lot of different ways to look at this. And the reality is Miles Garrett and Micah Parsons played like defensive players of the year, just the same way that TJ Watt did. Which one of them was better for me? And I'm obviously biased. I think Watt has it by, by a shade. It's not much. Uh, all three yeah. of them are very deserving players. Yeah, I, I think TJ will win it. I think he's very deserving. Uh, I, I think the way the media do it and Burles will do it is just they'll take the sack numbers and that he won it three times. Yeah, first that, player in NFL that's history. Right. <laughs> you know, and that it, you know, and, and that that's probably will tip it. But I think Ali Howard species before we move on to breaking down this game. Um, Ali Howard species fifty six eighteen makes a great point that in this new world of analytics, I think we still struggle to understand the worth of data and what correlates to production. I think that's a great way to put it. And in addition to that, um, I think the other reason why we struggle with that is that there's so many sources of data now. I mean, there's so many websites, there's so much data, there's so many, there's so many numbers that it's almost paralysis by analysis, unfortunately. Um, and I've had to probably temper you know, being a Carnegie Mellon guy and a number guy, I've kind of had, I've gotten caught in the weeds at times uh, looking at certain numbers and I've had to boil it down uh, to what numbers I think are pertinent. But, you know, like I was taught a long time ago, you know, you take a bunch of numbers, throw them all in a pot, make some gumbo and, and see what happens. And then you take a look at it from there, you know, take a look at it from a different perspective and different perspectives. Let's switch real quick to Minka before we jump into this game. Minka says he's going to be back. You think Minka's going to be back for this game? Uh, I don't think he would have said he was going to be back if he wasn't going to. What that means to me is that um, maybe he was close enough to playing Sunday against Baltimore and one reason or another he was held out. Or the idea always was he's going to gut it out for a playoff game. You're not keeping him on the bench for a playoff game. Um, I, I would hope that would be his mentality. Uh, whether he wears a C on his jersey or not, he's a, a leader on the team. Uh, highly paid player, he's got to be out there. Uh, if, if he's able to do anything, he needs to be out there. But uh, I was just talking about this on, on Twitter right before the show. Um, I, I feel the perhaps more of the issue now is DeMonte Casey's return. And that in wake of the return or the, the wake of the emergence of veteran safety Eric Rowe I'm not entirely sure that Minka and, and Roe is not a better pairing than Minka and, and Casey at this point. So it, it, that's interesting to watch. While you know people tried to drum up something of a controversy regarding the quarterback, what they were going to do between Mason Rudolph and Kenny Pickett, clearly they're going to start Rudolph. I would take a look at what they're going to do snap-wise between Casey and Roe. I think Roe is probably going to continue playing. Casey might be available, but he's not available with the team. Uh, he's been off for three weeks. His level of conditioning is going to have to be in question just because he hasn't been around in, in uh, a, a football sense for a couple weeks. And Roe, I thought, has played really well. Maybe not to the lovers of, of PFF, but as a football player, I, th I think he's done what the team has needed them to do. And with that, bringing Minka back along with Roe, who I think has, has solidified a disaster of a situation in, in their back secondary uh, the last couple weeks – they could flip that into a strength for this game. And that that's, I didn't think we'd be saying that. It's funny. Somebody asked in the chat, the odds on DPOY and I'm looking at a website. I don't know how accurate this data is. They've got miles Garrett at a minus two forty, 
Mika Parsons at plus 250 and TJ Watt at plus 380. That's, those those are betting but, odds. That doesn't know, mean it, anything. Yeah. You know, it, yeah, people, yeah. I assure you there are 50 people that vote for the award. Okay. You give a first, a second, a third place vote. Those people do not look at the betting public and say, This is who I'm going to vote for. Okay. <laughs> yes, they do. Because everybody else all the time, they're going to give it to Garrett. They're going to give it to Garrett. Based on what? Just because people are betting on Miles Garrett doesn't mean that that's what's going to happen. <laughs> yes, it's it not. It, it's not a game, you know. That this is not a competition. It comes down to to fifty people and how they want to to view it. And I again, I'm I'm sorry. I'm not trying to be anti TJ Watt. I'm just objectively telling you, Miles Garrett put up a Defensive Player of the Year season, as did Micah Parsons. One of them is going to finish third. And the fan base of that team is going to go absolutely ballistic at how stupid everybody is. But it's going to be very close, okay? It, it should be, in my opinion. I would have a tough time saying who's you know legitimately number one, and that's why it's tough to have the first, second, and third place. Uh, uh, I forget what that's called, the style of voting that they use. You get points based on each you know uh, level of vote that you get. It, it should be close, in my opinion, because – I could split it between the three of them. I really could. Any any one of them could win that. Um, to suggest, though, that Watt could get third, yeah, that's reasonably fair. Just because he has more sacks doesn't mean that he's a better player. Um, to be fair, historically, they tend to give it to the guy that has the most sacks, but that doesn't mean that, that he was the better player. That's you know, If, if you want to use analytics um, to, to back up claims that people don't like, you're going to get ripped for it. Okay, that that I've been on both sides of that. I understand why people hate pro football focus. There's a reason why they might favor Miles Garrett ahead of TJ Watt. But to be honest, the difference is really not that much. And I haven't even brought up Max Crosby yet, who also had a phenomenal season and is a great, great football player. I don't think it's disrespecting anybody to suggest they deserve some consideration in that conversation. The world doesn't revolve around TJ Watt. He's not being disrespected. There are valid arguments for other players other than him, and I get that you don't like that, but that you know you need to be reasonable. Uh, Watt, if Watt wins the award, he he earned it. If Garrett wins it, he earned it. I'm sorry, but he had a great season and he's a great player. Let's jump into a breakdown of the game. I think you make some solid points uh, about the TJ Watt DPOY, and it's just a reflection of the passionate, the passionate reflection of each fan base about, you know, wanting their guy to win DPOY. I mean, you know, ultimately I think that's what it is. TJ Watt's phenomenal. All three of those guys are phenomenal, but I'm glad you brought up the point about KZ. And I would guess that, you know, given how Mike Tomlin has decided to, and it's not apples to apples, but given how Tomlin has decided to stick with the hot hand at the quarterback position, he's watching film they're they're watching how eric rowe is playing and to what you said i think the safety combination is going to be Rowe and minka i don't think you break that up for the same reasons because Rowe is playing solid football they're playing solid on the defensive side of football and he's making plays but we talked yesterday about the defensive keys to this game and i thought you brought up something very interesting and given what the weather is anticipated to be, the weather's supposed to be very bad, snowy game, that it might even mirror the game uh, where Le'Veon Bell ran for about 2,000 yards against the Bills and imitated O.J. Simpson. 
that the weather's going to be very bad. With that being said, you brought up a couple of good keys uh, about the defensive side of football. The key number one is not be on the field, which reflects the complementary nature of football, that to not be on the field, this offense has to do its thing. And the other thing, and we both hit on this, is I think you got to make uh, Josh Allen play fast and you got to turn him over. Uh, this is a game, I think, where the Steelers will need extra possessions and they will need to take some possessions from the Bills to be competitive in this game. This is a game, I mean, by all intents and purposes, Vegas, the betting odds, the public, most people feel this is going to be a blowout. Um, I don't necessarily think it's going to be a blowout, but the line is around nine and a half and 10. Looking at these keys of not being on the field and turning over Josh Allen, uh, especially with the turnover perspective, how do you think the Steelers will approach uh, Josh Allen? I mean, Miami, I thought, was very successful in their game, particularly in the red zone, making Allen play fast with the use of a variety of blitzes, trying to get quick pressure on him to make him get off his reads fast and get into Josh Allen's Superman, put the cape on mode. How do you think the Steelers will go at defending uh, the Bills in this game? I think you have to be really disciplined. You want to keep Allen in the pocket. Um, that's doubly important in this game because you're going to see them want to get Allen outside and go after Golden or Nick Herbig, whichever one is not TJ Watt on that on uh, the the defensive left side of the field. You're going to want Allen to to have a running option toward the sideline and try to take advantage of the fact that they're just simply not going to be as strong on the edge. Uh, in particular, if it's Herbig out there, if you run zone over to that side, Nick Herbig is not physically prepared to really take on uh, NFL tackles head up. He's he's quick. He's phenomenal with his hands, certainly for his his uh, level of experience. But if he had the physical size, the the traits that you need as far as you know hand fighting goes, uh, he wouldn't have been a fifth round pick. When he's out there, you're hoping they throw the ball. They they throw the ball rather than run it. But with Allen, you can do both, and you don't have to decide that until Allen's on the move and at a spot that uh, he can make a play down the field. I would think they're going to want to extend plays as much as they can. Because of that, the Steelers are going to want to keep him tethered as much in the pocket as they can. Disciplined rush. Don't go too wide. Try to get him to step up and and confuse him as much as you can in coverage because. The key thing, I think, for the Steelers in this game is the return of Minka Fitzpatrick. You've got the legit best defensive center fielder uh, in the game. You're able to, to make plays on the ball with him back there. You hope that they that Allen's going to want to be convinced to try to, to, to take things downfield, uh, particularly with the weather conditions. But I, I think what you're going to see is design runs from Allen uh, quite a bit. They're going to run RPOs, trying to, to give him makeable stuff to possess the ball. Uh, and the Steelers' defense is going to have to get them off the field. That That's the best way they're going to be able to defend themselves simply because the Bills have, have an explosive offense and the Steelers don't have their, their best playmaker on the field. They're going to have to be disciplined. They're going to have to tackle. They're going to have to wrap up and try to get them off the field on third down. I know how simple that is, but um, they're 10-point underdogs for a reason. That's a, that's a tough bet uh, against a, a good offensive team like the Bills that are just starting to kind of put things together you know it hasn't been a great year for them but you can see it drive to drive if you watch them 
they're close on on a few things and uh, th- this is a pretty good matchup for them uh, offensively versus Pittsburgh's defense and staying on the defensive side of football and I I know we've gone into this before on a show that starting doesn't really mean anything in the National Football League for the most part who play who do you think plays uh the base snaps who replaces TJ in base snaps? You think it's golden? Golden. It'd be golden. Um, Herbig is not a, a three down player right now. Um, they haven't used him as a three down player. You don't want to have to replace TJ Watt. So neither one of them got extensive snaps uh, and they played both sides. I, I would guess golden would be more of their guy. Um, you know, weirder things have happened though. Who knows if, if they want to go NASCAR and just rush, Herbig off the edge like a bat out of hell. I, I could see them wanting to do that. It just puts a lot of pressure uh, on your safeties and on your your inside linebackers to fill uh, the gap that he's going to be occupying. And it, it kind of daring Buffalo to run at that spot. Do you want to do that? Uh, are you able to do that if you play a nickel? Things like that come up when you have a, a physical disadvantage, which you do with Herbig. He's just not big. He's not particularly strong. Um, if a tackle can get inside him, he's done. He can't get off that. So it, against the run, that's a real challenge, and that's what you'd be representing every time you put Herbig on the field. Is there something to be said about the idea of, well, we'll dare you to run the ball on, on third and five if we put Herbig out there? Because if you throw, he's coming, <laughs> and you're, you're going to have a tough time blocking him because he's good. He's going to make a play uh, off the line. There's there's a chess match to be had there, but that said, given the, the the track record of Tomlin, particularly in the playoffs, he sides with the veteran. Uh, my guess would be Golden, who, to be fair, uh, was signed for this. You know that this was his whole purpose and being. If Highsmith or Watt goes down, you're going to be the guy getting all of the snaps. Um, you might want to split that with Herbig a little bit because he's a good situational player. But overall, I, I would expect Golden to play more. Before we jump into a defensive matchup that we might want to highlight, uh, big up to Mark Sloss for bringing this up that the Steelers signed really? Brad Wing to the practice squad. I haven't they seriously checked. did. I, I'm going to go on on faith that Mark is correct by posting this. What is that? Is Harvin gone? Is 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 that what yeah. that's saying? Yeah, Adam Schefter just tweeted that uh, Brad Wing has been signed to the practice squad. Um, but that is interesting you... just in the sense that your practice squad players um, are, have limitless call-ups during the, the postseason. So you can have them, but they have to set the practice squad at the, the max amount uh, leading into the first game. So if you add Brad Wing, unless Harvin's hurt, I have no idea why they're doing it unless they're about to cut Harvin <laughs> or they're going to occupy two roster spots before a playoff game with punters. I don't know why they would do that. Um, is it a Holver situation? I, I, I don't know. That's weird. That's, That's weird. interesting because in a game like this, I think you know field position is going to be in, incredibly important in a game like this. Yep. And, you know, he they're going to have to get something out of the punting game because punting essentially is a part of your defense, Absolutely. as we all know on the show. So they're, they're going to have to get something out of the punt game uh, in special teams uh, and make Buffalo play long fields uh, to be competitive in this game. That's one key component to this game. What's a matchup on defense that you're standing out? When I'm looking at this game, I'm thinking about the matchup of 
Joey Porter because Joey Porter Jr. has become a traveling corner. It's going to be interesting uh, to see that matchup of Joey Porter Jr. against Stephon Diggs. Um, it, it, Porter has done well in those situations, minus the penalties, which we've joked about and ranted about many times. What worries me about traveling with the guy in a game like this goes back to the outside linebacker. Um, if you motion digs to her big side, putting Porter there, you've got the worst tackler on the field combined with the smallest frontline defender going against Josh Allen and a, a probably a, a releasing tackle and or a pulling guard. You'd get you know, they'd clear you out the same way they're going to clear the snow off the bleachers. That's that's not I I would not like the idea of Porter following Diggs in this game. It has nothing to do with Diggs. It's more uh, strategically positioning your defense to not play into the offense's hands. That said, uh, Porter can trail. Porter has, has good mirroring skills. He's long. It's hard to throw around him. He's grabby. Uh, if they're calling it, you're in trouble. If they don't, he's going to shut the guy down. At least that's what we've seen up to this point. But Stephon Diggs is another beast. Um, he, he's a, a phenomenal receiver, um, if not the best route runner in the game, certainly one of them. This is the type of game they're going to want to get him back on track. They've had some problems with that. Uh, and I don't mean the deep stuff. I mean the intermediate stuff. Yeah, yeah. I would, I would expect um, Diggs, who's not the physical presence that DK Metcalf is by any stretch, but I would expect Diggs to want to challenge Porter physically. Uh, early and often in this game, uh, try to mentally wear him down, beat him up, and and make catches around him. Um, it, more than anything, if if it were me, I I'd throw him in front of Porter all day. He can't tackle. Uh, get get set something up so Porter can get chipped uh, after the catch, and you're you're going to make big plays out of that. They don't need to throw deep. Uh, certainly not in a game like this to exploit. Uh, the weaknesses the Steelers' defense has, especially when T.J. Watt is not on the field. I would expect them to just pepper it short, uh, try to attack Porter, get him to make plays in space, which he, that's that's not going to be his his uh, uh, his best strength, certainly not in this game. Um, it, force him to, to, to play more physical than he does, and that's usually a win for, for a defense, for an offense. Grayson and VC brought up some great points. Uh, it's going to be key that the Steelers do a great job on Cook. They got to keep Buffalo off schedule to put Josh Allen in those moments where he tries to put on the cape and tries to force and squeeze a ball. I definitely agree with that. And uh, Gabe Davis is also an issue. Had a very good game against Steelers the last time they played. I thought Gabe Davis got banged up on the yeah, Sunday he's, game. He's, he's out. Um, he's not going to play. But I think, yeah, he's going to be out. So that's good for that. Uh, but let's switch to the offensive side of football. And, you know, my keys are are, are simple. Uh, they've got to run the ball well on first down. They've got to stay on schedule. I mean, if they can't stay on schedule in this game, I, I think they will struggle offensively. And I, I think they got to spam pickings in this game. I, I think as much as the run is going to be important, and in keeping them on schedule and sustaining offense and keeping Buffalo off the field <laughs> where, where this game, I think, needs to look like an old school 80s game, time of possession, slow the game down, limit possessions, keep them off the field. Um, it's going to be interesting um, 
to see how the Steelers approach, but I think they're going to spam the run and, and they're going to run it. And I think your play distribution is probably going to be two to one run. Uh, like we've seen in the, in the last few weeks that protects Mason uh, doesn't put him in some compromising positions behind the sticks where he may force some things, keeps Buffalo off the field and keeps them on schedule. How do you think the Steelers are going to approach this game? Um, I'll, I'll, put it out right away saying whatever tendency it is that I think that they'll do is usually what they don't do. And it's probably because it's obvious that that's what they should do. So the opponent is going to prepare accordingly. Um, The Steelers run the ball. Well, Buffalo does not stop the run particularly well. That's a matchup. They absolutely have to win. I would imagine uh, coaching on both sides are challenging their fronts uh, to to win the line of scrimmage. And this is critically important for the Steelers because I don't think they're going to win any other way. They have to keep Buffalo's offense off the field far more than Buffalo needs to keep Pittsburgh's offense off the field. They're the explosive team. They have the big playmakers um, at, at key positions. If Pittsburgh can run the ball effectively, and I think they will, they'll have a drive or two like that, they can keep this game a lot more competitive than Buffalo is going to want to. And the Steelers, knock on wood here, uh, by design, none of their quarterbacks, with the exception of the one who shan't be named, uh, have turned the ball over a whole lot. And that that's a key to the Steelers' offense. Absolutely. They're not going to Great give point. it away. And because of that, they have to run successfully. Now, whatever the hell it is that happened with Jalen Warren last week when he fumbled the ball every time he touched it, that's going to have to stop. They're in, in another element laden game. They're going to have to protect the football. And part of that is you need to run successfully to do that. Uh, it keeps Buffalo's offense off the field. Doesn't allow Josh Allen to have as many opportunities to make big plays because he's going to make them eventually. Uh, the more that they can suck down the tempo of this game and drag Buffalo down to their level, which is where they love to you know, bring you down to the mud and choke you out down there. If the Steelers are able to do that, they can pull this out. And you're you're a nine and a half, ten point underdog in the playoffs on the road. You've got one path to success, and Buffalo knows that they have to shut that down from the start. Uh, that that's the game, uh, as far as Pittsburgh's offense is concerned. They have to run consistently, and to, they're going to have to to work it consistently, and they're going to have to get uh, above standard play from their offensive line in order to do that. It's a tall task. Uh, Buffalo's not that good up front, but it's the only thing Buffalo is going to be concerned with. I, I guarantee it. They're going to, to come after the run, land, air, and sea, and not worry about the, the rare times the Steelers would try to beat them over the top anyway. They can win a conservative game if they can stop Pittsburgh's running game. I, I agree there, and, and, and I'm glad you brought up, uh, before we get into predictions, Buffalo's front. And again, you're listening to The New Standard with Lance Williams and Neil Kulong. Uh, make sure you check us out live if you're on. Big up to everybody that's on live. Uh, and I believe Double H Orchard Park is artificial turf. Yes, it is. Um, and big up to everybody. If you want to get the podcast, go out to the podcast feed or however you get it. Do a search for the new standard. Before we get into predictions, to your point about Buffalo up front, in terms of DVOA and their rush defense, they're ranked 17th. And I like DVOA as an analytical stat given how they do it i like dvoa so dvoa is my stat of my choice uh this this game 
I'm gonna give you my prediction now. This this game feels like a Mike Tomlin special. Like this game could go one or two ways. Either the Steelers win an ugly ass game, a shenane game, and we're left shaking our heads like, how did they pull this out? Or they get taken to the woodshed. The ten the ten points to me, seems a lot. Like, it seems like a lot. I know the Steelers are 10 and 17, uh, 10 and 17, didn't average 20 points per game. But I think they're a very different team right now than the one over the course of the season. I love how they're playing in the last three games. I love how they've established their identity. I love how they're running the football. Siamalu's playing fantastic football. The guards are playing well. I'm going to pick the Steelers to win this game. I'm going to pick the Steelers to win this game, and Mike Tomlin is going to pull out a Mike Tomlin ugly-ass winning game out of his arse, and that the Steelers win this game, they get a special teams block. That I'm thinking that this game – is going to look like somewhat like when they beat Buffalo a couple of years in the first game. I think we're going to see some turnovers. Josh is going to put the cape on. I think they're going to have some success. They're going to make this game really ugly, bully ball like VC said. I think the Steelers win this game 21-17 and shock everyone. Gutsy. The last Gutsy. time the Steelers won a playoff game, which they were nine or more points uh, underdogs, was the Colts back in 2005. And that game was borderline miraculous and still needed a, a completely crazy, dramatic finish uh, to pull it off. And that was in the divisional round, not the wild card. And it was with six playoff teams, not seven. So, um, it, Buffalo, I, I think, has righted the ship. I think they're um, the, the hotter team coming into it. Pittsburgh certainly played above and beyond what they thought they would. But Buffalo did it for five games, um, including a division championship against a, 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 a rival in their place that was playing you know, for, for the sake of uh, the division title and playoff positioning. I, I think Buffalo has a little bit more overall, and I, I just I can't ignore the fact that T.J. Watson out on the field. Um, I think Buffalo, I think Pittsburgh will pe- keep it relatively competitive for the first half, but Buffalo is just going to overpower them down the stretch. I, I think something like 27-17 Bills, I'm going with that. So, Neil, I'm going to write you down at okay. 27-17. I'm on for 21-17 Steelers. It should be, hopefully, a compelling game. And, of course, <coughs> we will have a lot a, a post game. We may do a halftime. Yeah, we, we may. I forgot about that. We didn't ask. Do you, would you guys watch a halftime show if we blasted out a halftime show? Like we're starting right the at the beginning of halftime and um, go over whatever is there. Because you look at it like this. Uh, Neil Yi of little stupidity is the way I look at that. But <laughs> we started this show. We had four people online in the first minute. Now we have 56. Those aren't like great numbers or anything, but uh, we 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 ramp up. People come in later. 
halftime's over by the time we would get an audience if to to really even make it worth our time. I'm just curious because something like that would be for really the diehards. You know, I would want to do it more with your guys' interaction, um, bitch, rant, rave, argue, whatever it is. There's not much analysis. There's not much time to really give at halftime anyway. So if we do it, uh, if you guys want to come on, you know, bring your opinions. I think we'd just go off of that more than anything. Um, yeah, absolutely. Let's that yell about fun. who sucks and who we hate and all that. Yeah, make sure you, you you like and subscribe to the program, obviously. But hop on to the comments and big up to Dean Eaton. Uh, hop on to the comments. So I, I, I'll, I'll shuffle through the comments over the next few days. Uh, make sure you comment on this show with your vote and your predictions on whether we should do a halftime. Uh, but with that, we're going to go ahead and conclude the show. And also, it'll be it'll hinge on the score as yeah, well. well, well I, I hate doing that. I hate doing that. I think that's lame. If we're going to do it, we need to. We're we going to do it. Yes, it. you 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 are correct. You are because correct. It, you know we we should. It, to be fair, I think everybody would understand this. I'm going to be a little bit more excited if it's 30 to nothing Steelers than I would be if it's, you know, 18 nothing Bills. But you commit to the show, you do it good, bad, whatever, you know. Uh, for the record, I, I think it's going to be competitive. I think both these teams are going to play pretty conservatively. Uh, they're not looking to throw haymakers um, in the playoffs in that weather. So I, I think we will have a competitive game at halftime. So there will be stuff to talk about, um, gnash teeth about, yell and scream about. Talk about Sean McDermott and his got to censor myself, Lance. You know what I mean? El Qaeda, Sean. I, I can't believe he said that. <laughs> like, only in the NFL. Only in the NFL can you make a comment like that and have it not cost your job because no. you went on a five-game winning streak after it went public. <laughs> Ignore the fact the comment was made uh, before the, the season. They started off six and five or whatever it was. That doesn't cost him his job. I, I, I'm not gonna lie. If that was me, I I might have fired him on the spot. I'm like, you you can't come back from that. You just can't. That is the stupidest, most asshole thing you can say, especially in the state of New York. <laughs> oh, wow. what an idiot! The NFL what an is a idiot. the NFL is a unique culture. Before we get out of here, and if you could slap somebody. Uh, in a meeting of coaches as well and, and keep your job, then uh, the NFL is a place where I don't want to work. But with that, let's get out of here. And as always, tune in, tell a friend, and subscribe. Go Steelers.